This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. This has been a pet peeve of mine for 25 years, and I've been hammering on on growers that don't overdry your hops, and they say, okay, fine, great, tell me how. After all these years of complaining to growers, I have a solution to the problem. Is it perfected? No. Can we adjust it to make it uh, competitive in, you know, three, five years? I think that's a pretty easy thing to do if there's a commitment to do that. So I'd like to get people in the industry you know, I'm excited about it. This week on the show, you'll learn about traditional hop drying's inherent risks, quality problems, and fire hazards. You'll hear from a Wisconsin grower who built a better mousetrap and an industry veteran who has laid out a comprehensive comparison of hop drying methods. All right here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Hello, I'm Val Peacock, and I'm an independent consultant uh, and owner and president of the firm Hop Solutions Incorporated, uh, also known as HSI. And um, uh, we're located in Edwardsville, Illinois. Hello, this is Bill Arndt, uh, owner and operator of Gorse Valley Hops, uh, located in Nakusa, Wisconsin. I also farm 150 acres of cranberries as well. Drying is the most critical process on a hop farm. Why is that? What are the symptoms and dangers of overdrying hops? Well, let me start with a little bit of background on me. In uh, my previous life, I was uh, uh, the uh, head of uh, all things technical concerning hops for Anheuser-Busch for about 20 years. And in the early 1990s, uh, one of the main things that I noticed that caused problems with the hops that we we accepted was that uh, we rejected an awful lot of hops that were overdried, and that was our principal complaint uh, with, uh, well, number one quality problem with hops. And the problem with overdried hops is uh, back in those days, the brewery was using uh, baled hops, not pellets or extract. And uh, baled hops, uh, when you overdry the hops, uh, the hops 
will usually, uh, they're over dried and they're very brittle. Uh, so that when you bale the hops, the hops, uh, the cone loses its integrity. And what happens is that the lupulin glands that contain the alpha acids and the oil uh, are ruptured. And the lupulin gland uh, protects the, uh, uh, the alpha and the beta and the oil from oxidation. So these bales would not store well. Uh, um, and uh, as hops get older, uh, the bitterness becomes, um, how should I say, uh, more lingering and, and less uh, pleasing to the palate. Um, and this was a bad thing, especially when you're making a lager beer that you want to be smooth on the tongue. Um, another, uh, for, in terms of safety problems, uh, if you do not dry hops enough, uh, then they're sort of like uh, baling wet hay and you have the danger of spontaneous combustion. And I think there's been about four warehouses that have been burned down in Yakima in the last 25 years because of uh, improperly dried hops and a number of kiln fires as well. The other problem with over drying is when you dry down the hops more than you, than you wish to, you're also driving off uh, the oil and you're losing the aroma of the hops. And this is one of the primary things that craft brewers want uh, because they're, most of the hops that they buy, they're using for dry hopping, and they're trying to get these uh, uh, essence oil compounds into the beer. And if you drive them off in your uh, drying operations, well, then they're not going to like your hops. So that's the danger of uh, over-drying, not only a safety concern, uh, but uh, poor storage of the hops, and uh, you're, you're losing uh, the oil. And uh, so this is why you want to get... Uh, uh, the hops dried precisely into this 10% range. You don't want them to be 15%. You don't want them to be 5%. And that's really hard to hit uh, with the uh, uh, equipment that we currently have in, in the industry in the United States. Okay, well, let's talk about that equipment because there's, there's probably some listeners who aren't familiar with the hop drying process. Why don't you tell us how they do it in the Pacific Northwest? Okay, a standard operation in uh, the Pacific Northwest would be a box that's going to be about 35 feet by 35 feet with a grate on the bottom, and they pile the hops uh, into this box, and they'll pile them anywhere from uh, 24 to maybe as high as 40 inches, but about 30, 32 inches is pretty standard. And then they blow hot air through this uh, bed of hops from the underneath. And the idea is, is the hops are about 75, 80% moisture uh, when you harvest them. And if you don't dry them down, they're going to spoil very quickly. They're basically going to turn into compost on you. And the air temperature is usually somewhere between about 135 degrees up to maybe 150, 155 degrees, uh, depending upon, uh, well, how fast you want to dry them, basically. Uh, Okay, so you as you dry this uh, bed of hops down, of course, the stuff on the bottom dries out a lot more quickly than the uh, hops on the top. And this process will last uh, anywhere between about five hours to 13 hours, depending on uh, the air temperature you use, the uh, depth of the bed, uh, the weather outside, uh, the hop variety that you have. And uh, uh, all of these things are, are going to affect uh, how long this takes. And when, you're, when you finally turn off the heat, and one of the big problems they have is there's not really any good instrumentation that says, ah, the hops are 
you know, average 10% moisture. Now it's time to turn off the heat. And the way this is usually done in the United States is that you have a very experienced grower who reaches down into the middle of the bed, feels the hops with his hand and says, yeah, I think they feel like they're about 10%. So this is a very <laughs> precise operation, as you can see. And this is the main problem. They don't know when to stop. Okay, and so they uh, tend to, uh, well, either overdry or underdry. It's really hard to get it right. Okay, and at the end of this process, if you get a very, very good job, the bottom hops are going to be around 5% moisture, which is, you know, 5% uh, less moisture than you want. And the top layer is going to be about 15 to 20% moisture, probably closer to 20%. Uh, and very often it's 30%. Okay. Uh, so this is, you know, a very, uh, how should I say, uh, the variability within the bed is just huge. And not only is there a difference from the top to the bottom, there's also a difference from side to side because the airflow through the bed of hops is never uniform and it changes every time you load the bed. Uh, so, uh, this is a very, uh, you have very poor control over the process here. And uh, since you have uh, problems like burning down warehouses, if you don't get it right, this is a pretty critical problem. Um, so uh, the American system is is uh, its big advantage is is that it's a low capital, uh, how should I say, outlay uh, to build for your operations, and you have very high throughput, um, but you have very poor control over the process, and that's the big problem with it. The German tradition for hop drying has a bit of a twist. What's different there? If we go into the German drying system, uh, there's something here that there's two things different that they do in Germany. One is, is in the United States, uh, the uh, air is heated with either propane, natural gas, or a diesel burner. And the exhaust gases from the uh, burner actually pass through the hop bed. In Germany, they put in a heat exchanger between uh, the, uh, um, the combustion gases and the intake air. So it works like the furnace in your home where the exhaust gases go one way and the hot air goes another way. And this really cuts down on the efficiency of the, uh, the energy uh, efficiency of the system. And, and typically, the German system is going to use about 50% more energy to dry the same number of pounds of hops versus the American system. The next big, big difference is that they don't have just one uh, layer in, in the hop dryer. There's three layers, and you can drop the hops from the top layer to the next layer to the next layer uh, with louvers. And the louvers have, uh, uh, well, they're basically uh, uh, wire louvers so that the air can pass through. <clears throat> and the idea is you load, instead of about 30 inches of hops, they'll load these up to about 12 inches in the top layer partially dry them, and then drop them down to the next layer, and you load up the top layer again, partially dry them again, drop them down to the third layer, and you fill up each uh, layer as you do this. And when the bottom layer is finally dry, you, you uh, pull the entire uh, tier out. Uh, it's like a drawer that comes out on rails, and you can dump the hops uh, into a, in, on the floor to cool, or you can drop them into a conditioning chamber for for uh, further processing. Um, the uh, ad advantages of this process are that you have uh, much less variability from top to bottom in terms of moisture than you do uh, with the American system. You may have the bottom layer might be, 
well, how should I say, you'll, you'll see variation of something like from 6% to 13% or something like this in the, in the moisture gradient, but it varies all over the place uh, from, from top to bottom and also uh, from, from side to side as you have in the American system. So you have a much less moisture variability with the German system, although you still have more variability than you would like, but it's a huge improvement over the American system. Uh, the disadvantage is it uh, uses more heat. If you eliminated the heat exchanger, it would probably be very similar to the American system. Uh, but you also still have the problem is when does the farmer know when to turn off the heat? And basically, they're doing it by the same method as the Americans. They have some other gizmos that they use uh, to try and, and determine when to turn off the heat. But uh, again, it's a very imprecise process. And uh, if you just leave the heat on for an extra 20 minutes, you can go from perfectly dried to these hops are so over dried, I don't want them anymore. And that's where you get a lot of the, the onion, onion and garlic flavor, too, as well, right? Yes. Yeah, that, that's another thing that uh, if you take hops from the bottom of the, of the of, from an American kiln, the hops will very often smell. Uh, they'll have this garlic onion aroma, and if you smell a lot of hops, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but in the middle and top layers, this garlic aroma isn't there, and this is something that uh, it, it uh, often you'll 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 find this uh, uh, in hops dried in Germany and the rest of Europe in other places in Europe where they use this system as well. So you still have this problem of developing this onion garlic aroma that uh, most brewers don't want. We've also got Bill Arndt on the line. Bill is that guy, the farmer who knows how to reach into the hops and tell you exactly when to turn off the heat. Um, Bill, you're with uh, Hop Haven in Wisconsin, and it sounds like you might have the answer to this problem. What are you doing differently? We are actually drying with a method that we call Aroma Smart. Um, Hop Haven is the name of my farm uh, that I started in 2014. And last spring, I purchased Gorse Valley hops from a group down near Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, they actually developed this this method, and uh, I fell in love with the idea of the no heat. Uh, the risk of fire uh, was greatly diminished because we're actually using ambient outside air to draw our air through the bed of hops, and. We start that process. First, our, our oast is uh, 12 by 24, and we'll put uh, one day's pick in an oast, uh, typically around anywhere from two to, to three feet of, of hops in that oast, depending on the, the yields we get off the field. Um, there's like six sections on the top of this box that... Uh, open up in an accordion style basically and we fill throughout the day start the air movement drawing through as soon as we get a layer on the screen bottom uh, start drawing uh, ambient outside air through that bed of hops to um, you know start the drying process and by day's end we've got our our bed of hops laid in there and our fans are powered there's two 25 horse electric motors with um 42 inch diameter fans we're running about 54,000 cfms of air um those fans are controlled by vfds so we can 
control how much air we're moving. Um, we'll typically run that ambient air through the bed of hops for about 24 hours. Uh, we'll take them from that 75-80% moisture down to around 35%. Um, at that point, we close up the tops of the, the oast, and we've got a big industrial dehumidification system on it. And we close the ductwork down and start to recirculate dehumidified air inside of the bed. Um, at that point, now the dehumidified air is circulating and the dehumidifier is removing all the moisture out. Uh, there's quite a stream of water that comes out um, of the dehumidification system. Uh, periodically, we, of course, test the, the moisture going in. And when we close it, we'll determine that we've kind of plateaued. We've hit a flat spot at, at what we can achieve with outside air. And what we do is actually use a microwave to test moisture with a pretty basic formula of the wet weight of the hops. Uh, and we dry it down in the microwave in short increments of, say, 45 seconds. 30 to 45 seconds at a time. If you go too long, you'll actually start to burn the, uh, the hops and, and then lose mass. So it's a, just a process of 30, 45 seconds at a time until you bottom out um, and don't take any more weight off. So you know you've removed all the moisture out of the hops. Then you divide the difference by the wet weight, and that'll actually give you the percent moisture that you're sitting at. So Periodically, we'll test. It could be at six o'clock in the evening, and maybe three a.m. Um, because we're running around, you know, uh, thirty-six hours to dry a batch. Uh, when we hit that point at that eight to ten percent moisture, um, we'll shut off the dehumidification. And depending on the time of the day, you know, if it's three a.m., we'll just slow the fans down and keep an air movement going on inside of the vessel. Um, but just stabilize it so that we're not um, over drying it and um, uh, not picking up any moisture as well. Wisconsin, of course, is a lot different weather than the Pacific Northwest. Um, after we've achieved that dry weight, we you know empty the the oast with a, a kill cloth. It's an industrial netting, kind of like a uh, with the load handler theory, we roll the oust uh, empty out onto a belt, and we actually put ours into a conditioning chamber, not so much to even the, the moisture out, but in order to empty the, the oust out for, uh, you know, filling the next day. The downfall to this process, I guess, is that it takes, it takes time to do this, and therefore we have four hours that we fill so that we can pick every day of the week except Sundays. We didn't really talk about blowouts. I mean, that's another advantage uh, of this system versus the other. Do you want you guys want to talk about talk about that a little bit? Well, maybe I should do that. This is Val Peacock again. And what a, what a blowout is, is uh, in the American system, uh, you're, as you're drying the hops down, of course, the hops become lighter. And uh, as they become lighter, uh, 
uh, they'll tend to get blown out of the kiln if the airspeed is too high. Uh, again, remember that uh, the airflow through the bed of hops is very non-uniform. So very often this will happen in a place in the bed where most of the air is already going through. And when you uh, blow a hole in the bed of hops, it's sort of like the, you know, a hop volcano and hops go everywhere. And then uh, when that happens, all the airflow goes through the hole rather than through the remaining hops in the bed. And uh, then you have to uh, uh, throw a piece of plywood over where the hole is. And, of course, that's going to give you very uneven um, airflow through the bed. And it's just when this happens, it's just a huge hassle uh, for the farmer. Um, now, the advantage of uh, Bill's system is, is that the air, rather than going from the bottom to the top, goes from the top to the bottom. So that makes it uh, an air, uh, how should I say, a blowout impossible. And this is really important because the air speeds that he's using are quite a bit higher uh, than the air speeds that, uh, per square foot, I should say, of, of, uh, of uh, floor space than the, than the folks out in the Pacific Northwest are using. And, and to make his system work, you really kind of need to have a, a higher airspeed, I suspect. So um, that's uh, uh, one of the, another one of the differences between his system and a more con- traditional system. Makes sense. Val's recent publication in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly indicated that thus far this technology appears to be unique to Wisconsin with several other uh, similar dryers operating in the state. Uh, Bill, tell us more about where the technology came from. Are there several of these things out there, or what's going on? Yeah, so this idea was developed by James Altweiss, who was the the founder of the Gorse Valley Hops operation that that I purchased. Um, Basically, I had purchased Gorse Valley Hops as a brand uh, as they um, got out of the business, and their ideas came from James with the idea that no heat would mean a superior aroma because you're not evaporating off any of the oils uh, with the temperature uh, used in, in traditional drying. The, the operation that they had, they, I think they were on about their seventh prototype when I had um, teamed up with, with the Gorse Valley team. And um, because of my farming background and what we do with cranberries, we've got an extensive fabrication um ability here and i propositioned gorse valley hops at that time to co-op our our i guess knowledge for know-how uh what they had gained in knowledge in this um prototype um drying method and our ability to put things into full-scale production and we sat down and got together Many times built our first full-size prototype. Uh, well, this thing is going to work pretty well, uh, and then refined it a little more and uh, built a full production scale models to um, allow allow us to harvest, you know, every day of the week without you know lacking a place to put our hops to dry. The airflow determinations uh, dan detmers was part of that gorse valley operation he was the the hvac expert because you try to figure out what the static load through a bed of hops is and that's all unknown when you start talking about drawing through a bed of you know very moist hop cones so 
to reach outside of of the knowledge those guys had gained, I was hitting a lot of walls when it came to trying to figure out exactly how much airspeed we would need. So I can't take credit for developing the method, but um, we definitely put it into a commercial scale, uh, you know, prototype or a full scale model that uh, works very well. Coming up. This is an important issue uh, for the craft industry and uh, it's something that I think brewers should be paying attention to. We want uh, uniformly dried hops. It's important for us for the quality of the hops. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Louis meets at Anheuser-Busch January 17th. Is PCR right for your brewery QC program? Check out the Master Brewers webinar January 24th. The District Ontario Annual Conference is January 31st and February 1st. District St. Louis meets February 21st at Third Wheel Brewing. And the 2019 California Joint Technical Conference is February 28th and March 1st in Paso Robles. It's not too early to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing it up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. Will there be a costume party? Only Tressa knows. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. Val, listeners can download your TQ article, which I'll also link to in the show notes to see all the data, but this was a thorough study. Talk about how you set up the experiment to compare the three different drawing methods. Well, this goes back to work I did 25 years ago. Uh, uh, looking at, uh, how should I say, the moisture profile in American kilns. That work was never published, uh, but uh, this was, uh, how should I say, one of my uh, chief concerns with the industry, let's put it that way. And then when I got uh, involved uh, with the Hop Quality Group who sponsored this work, uh, we did uh, some, uh, how should I say, repeated a lot of this work and, and built on it. And that's the, the data that you see in table one of this study. Unfortunately, we never published that. Um, 
there was a lot more work involved than, than just what I reported here. But basically, the idea was, as you can see from the chart, um, you see an awful lot of moisture variability within the uh, uh, within the hop bed itself, and that's something that we we really wanted to minimize. Some of the things we found also was that uh, uh, the uh, oil content of the hops pretty much uh, uh, how should I say uh, was guided by the moisture correlated well with the percent moisture. So if you had high moisture hops, you had more oil retained than if you had low moisture hops. And this should come to, as no surprise to anyone. As, as you heat up the hops and drive off the water, of course, you're going to be driving off the oil. And you can actually measure this. Only uh, This is not reported in the, in the table here. Uh, the other thing that isn't really reported here was that the hop storage index also goes up the uh, lower the moisture content. So this was one of the things that uh, uh, we're, we're holding as a quality um, parameter. We want to retain the oil. We want to keep the hop storage index low, but yet we want to dry the hops sufficiently that uh, we're not going to have problems with storage. So basically, the closer you can get to 10%, the better off you are. You don't want to be below 10%. You don't want to be above 10%. And with the American system, almost none of the hops uh, are at 10% where you want them to be. Uh, when you go to the German system, uh, the thing we were looking at for in the German system was, is there as much moisture variability uh, in the bed of hops at the end of the, of, the, uh, of the drying process? And we clearly found that there was much less variability of the moisture. Uh, it, there was more variability than we want, but it was a big improvement over the American system. Uh, we we did not look at uh, things such as oil content and uh, um, uh, HSI uh, in this study. So we were pretty much just saying that uh, if we get the moisture right, all that all those things are going to be right as well. But you you did test the HSI on the on the uh, on the new on the dehumidified system though, right? Yes, because yeah. it is so different from what you're doing uh, with the other two systems. And this is one of the things that, you know, first came to mind. Are we going to have less oxidation because we're, we're doing this at a lower temperature? I suspected we would. Uh, from the data that we collected, I suspect uh, that, uh, yes, uh, we're getting quite a bit uh, less oxidation. Unfortunately, we didn't have a side-by-side -side comparison. Here we can dry the traditional way. Here we can dry uh, with Bill's way. Um, and I'd really like to make that comparison uh, if we can arrange that. But uh, as of yet, uh, that hasn't been possible. Um, of course, when we went through uh, Bill's system here, what I really liked about this, if you look at the uh, numbers and tables four and five of the, uh, of the paper, almost none of those numbers are more than 2% away from 10%. Uh, and uh, that's, to me, that's super. If you look at the numbers for the uh, German system, uh, there were a lot of numbers in there that were, how should I say, uh, uh, much farther away from, uh, from 10% uh, than, than Bill's system. If you go to the American system, it's just all over the place. Okay, so progressively, you get uh, better um, 
performance in the, in the system going from uh, the American system to the German system to the uh, Wisconsin system. And uh, to me, this I'm pretty sure uh, that that's going to be a big quality difference. Uh, what I would really like to see uh, is if we can arrange to do a side-by-side comparison of the Wisconsin system versus uh, more traditional drying and see if, uh, and actually measure uh, oil content, HSI, and uh, have uh, brewers um, make hops with the beer and uh, uh, see what they uh, uh, what uh, they think of this process. Um, from my uh, evaluation of the uh, of the hops that uh, that Bill had here, to me they smelled uh, sort of like normal late harvest uh, cascade hops without uh, any garlic um, garlic onion type of aroma. And I know uh, some of my brewer friends are concerned uh, that maybe something positive happens by heating up the hops. Uh, from what indications I have so far, I would say that doesn't seem to be the case. But I think brewers are going to have to get uh, a comfort factor with that before they're going to really uh, go crazy about uh, this type of system. What do you think it would take for large scale growers in the Pacific Northwest to make the switch to unheated, dehumidified, dehumidified hop drying? There's a lot of infrastructure on those farms, and I'm sure there aren't many aren't many large scale hop farmers who would be particularly happy after um, seeing these results and considering the cost associated with overhauling their kilns. Uh, I think you're right. This would be a huge capital investment for them. The other thing is that uh, the throughput uh, bill system is much lower than the throughput on the American system. Uh, the bed size is, uh, well, how should I say, about half as big as the American uh, system, but that's not the real problem. The problem is, rather than the hops being in there for maybe eight hours, they're in there for 48 hours. So you need six times as much uh, bed space uh, to dry the same amount of hops. And if you have 500 acres of hops, that's really it's hard to scale yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. If you have 50 acres of hops, that's doable. If you have 500, uh, at least with the present technology, that doesn't seem like a reasonable thing to do. But remember that uh, in the United States, hop farms are typically 500 acres. In the rest of the world, they're more, uh, more typically 50 acres. And so for the rest of the world, uh, this is very uh, easy for the, uh, in terms of a changeover for them to make. Uh, for American hot growers, yeah, it would be a big deal. Does it, can the technology involve, uh, evolve in the next five years uh, so that uh, it would make more sense? My guess is uh, it will evolve in that direction. I'm sure it can be made, uh, how should I say, everything? make the turnover time less, or uh, somehow we can increase the uh, throughput of the system. We can probably make it more uh, energy efficient uh, as well. And uh, uh, so do I expect growers in the next five years to put this equipment in? No. 10 years, 15 years from now? Yeah, they should be looking at it and thinking of, of this as a real alternative to what they have. Uh, eventually, when they need to replace their equipment, that's the time that I would uh, think that it would make sense to uh, uh, really have a hard look and see if this technology is applicable to a big farm. 
Great. So, so Bill, speaking of improving the technology, what's what's next in Wisconsin? I assume somebody, perhaps you, is busy trying to further optimize the design of the system. I think that we've really are quite happy with what we've got set up here right now. Um, I'm not sure that we can speed it up um, and, or, or that we have to. Um, you know, we can harvest every day and uh, turn out quality dried hops. Um, so I'm not certain that that there's anything I can do to change the, you know, the basic design uh, to make it any faster without, you know, heat. You know, keep in mind, we, we never, we never exceed 100 degrees uh, inside of that vessel. Um, the air, uh, when the vessel gets closed, when the, the host is closed, it's what is called heat of compression. And that's basically the air is picking up uh, friction every time it passes over a fan blade. So you, you do bring your temps up a bit, but they've never exceeded, you know, 100 degrees. So, you know, I think that's the, the key to, to this method. The aromasphere method is to keep the temp low, the, the drawing the air through the bed instead of blowing it. And to diminish that threat of fire, uh, you know, was something that was really attractive to me when I when I toured out in the Pacific Northwest, you know, the, the, the kills out there were all built like concrete fortresses. And basically they told me to, it wasn't if you have a fire, it was when you have a fire. And, you know, that's a pretty scary thought for me to just say, well, we'll, we'll plan for a fire. I, I guess, you know, if I think about ways that you could probably improve um, this method, you know, the louver system that they use in Germany is kind of a neat deal because when they, when they open the louvers from the top layer to the middle layer, they're essentially turning the whole bed of hops over at once um, by the fall. And if there was a way that you could maybe, you know, turn that bed over midway through the process, you could maybe um, speed up your dry time a little bit because you, you know, you do actually get some compaction in our bed of hops uh, because of the draw, the suction that's occurring to them. Um, but it does not seem to affect the, the uniformity of the dry. It, uh, you know, air will take the path of least resistance. Uh, we do a good job of leveling the, the bed out, uh, you know, when we're done at the end of the day to make sure we've got a uniform layer. And the rest of it is just kind of takes care of it. Time, time, you know, time does what it does. Makes sense. Yeah. I was, I was thinking like, I wonder if there's any way you could sort of, uh, you're kind of going there too, like how you, you could sort of combine your technology with the German system somehow um, so that it, it did have, you know, multiple tiers like that and drop between them. But I don't know that that might be interesting. Um, obviously, like you said, you don't need that for your farm and remind me how, what size, what acreage you're working with there again. Uh, we've got 22 acres in hops. Okay. And uh, I've got room to put another 20 acres in. One thing I think that might be important to to, to bring up when, when Val is talking about 10% moisture, 
uh, is the ideal. The I guess the threat of running that line is that 12% moisture could mean uh, composting in the bale. Uh, am I close on that thought, Val? Uh, yes, uh, that would be a problem, uh, but it's going to be very variable. Um, there are a lot of uh, bales of hops that get stuck in warehouses in Yakima that have a pocket of 12% moisture. Uh, and so I think if it really is 12%, um, you're probably okay. It's because the problem is if you have a, a bale that's an average of 12% moisture, there's going to be pockets in there that are 16. And then you've got a real time bomb in your, uh, uh, in your warehouse. Uh, so what they're trying to do in Yakima is sort of have an average of 10%. Uh, with that, with po- pockets that are maybe twelve percent, um, that's. I mean, the the moisture uh, uniformity of hops uh, in Yakima is just awful. So when they say a bale is ten percent, it's it's not. I mean, parts <laughs> that are twelve and parts that are eight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, even after uh, conditioning and having them sitting around for a day or two before they bale them. Um, John, could I add one more thing? Of course. Here? So, uh, we were talking about well, uh, actually, bef- adapting bef- before the- you do that, can I just ask you yeah. um, what your t- when you mm-hmm. say that you know if they get a bale that's an average of twelve and they're worried that it's it's high like that, is that when they usually put it in mm-hmm. refrigeration? Uh, generally, it's sent back to the grower, and they say you deal with this, and uh, the grower. Uh, may have a refrigeration unit that he can throw them into, uh, or he just may break the bales open, throw them back in the kiln, dry them down a little bit more, and bale them up again. And then when those hops are sent to me, I reject them because they're all busted up. <laughs> so that's not a very good solution for the uh, uh, for the grower. But generally, yes, the bale will be sent back to the farm. Okay, yeah, I just asked um, that because... the farmer... I just ask that because I've heard yeah. I've heard some large scale growers like that talk about putting bales on refrigeration as sort of a yeah. a band aid, and I I wasn't sure if that was the the driving reason behind doing that or if there was something else. Yeah, it's generally that it's a it's a um, under dried bale, and they'll throw it in a cold room and let it sit there for a week. And uh, if it doesn't catch on fire by then, then usually the dealers will be, uh, how should I say, less concerned about uh, putting it in their warehouse. The bale stabilizes uh, in certainly within a week. And all these uh, hop warehouse fires, they've always occurred with, you know, a bale that's maybe one or two days old. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing is, is when they go in the warehouse, they stack the bales together. So the bale doesn't have uh, any place for peat to go because hops are wonderful insulation. And one of the things they'll do in one of these refrigeration units is they'll stack the bales separately. They'll be standing it up so it's got lots of surface area that where air can circulate around it. And uh, when you stack them up in a warehouse, that's not possible. Okay. Okay, great. Go ahead. I interrupted you. What else did you want to add? Oh, uh, adapting uh, this technology, this drying technology to Yakima. One of the big differences between the Midwest 
uh, and Yakima is uh, in September, uh, the average humidity here is probably 80%. The average humidity in Yakima is probably 25% or something like that. And so uh, you have a huge advantage in drying uh, with unheated air in Yakima because of this uh, humidity difference. If they would blow uh, un, uh, unheated uh, un, you know, uh, or undehumidified air through the hops for 24 hours, that alone, uh, my guess, would uh, um, bring the hops down to 10%, and they don't even need the dehumidification unit. Um, so it's totally possible that if they if they implemented a system um, like Bill's, that their their total drying time might be uh, substantially less than his. Yes. Also, Bill could reduce his drying time by turning on the dehumidification unit uh, at uh, at the very start of the process, uh, because she's could dry. You know, he can blow dry air through the hops to dry them, or he can blow wet air through the hops to dry them. And obviously, the dry air is going to dry them a lot quicker. And most of the energy use in Bill's system is the fans, not the dehumidification unit. So my guess, it would actually be more energy efficient uh, to run it with the dehumidification unit on the entire time. So that's uh, one thing to do that would uh, uh, save him some power and, uh, how should I say, increase the throughput of his operation. Bill, what do you think about that? We've tried it a few times and um, it's such a, there's so much moisture in it uh, at the start that we actually noticed some um, sweating on the outside of the vessel of the oast uh, because these are all made out of uh, aluminum and we actually had some water, you know, gathering at the edges and running down inside of it. And I'm not certain why that occurred if it was just because they were so moist when we closed it up right away and there was so much water to get rid of that it overburdened the dehumidifier mm-hmm. um but you know we have on on rainy days we're like well it's raining we're putting wet hops into this uh we've got the fans on let's try it you know um but the the weather in wisconsin is so you know it's so erratic you know it could be 80 degrees one day and and 54 the next so um you know raining dry cold you name it we've we've got to change um you know and there's no such thing as a conditioning floor in wisconsin either we don't drop our our dry um hops onto the concrete ever just simply because it would be drawing moisture out of the ground uh there's days when the the weather changes so much that uh, the concrete floral sweat. So uh, there's another big difference from, you know, piling them on the ground in the, in the, you know, Pacific Northwest versus what we do in Wisconsin. Uh, one question for Bill. I, feel free to say, no, I'm not comfortable to answer this. Uh, but I think a lot of uh, growers would be interested in uh, how much capital investment one of these uh uh, drying units uh, would cost to construct. Is that something you feel comfortable about talking about? Yeah, I would think, you know, with our fabrication skills, a lot of it is in-house here. Um, mm. But I think if I wanted to put a price tag on what we've done, if you had a turnkey 
a turnkey um, house built like we've got with the fans and ductwork, you're looking at about probably twenty five to thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And that's how should I say that's delivered, and uh, so that's how should I say? Sounds like Val's uh, taking orders, yeah. Bill. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> I'm just trying to to, to give interested growers uh, uh, a little bit more information so that they can make an educated decision on this. So yeah, uh, you know, I, I I'm thinking, you know, if you if you were to put lab, you know, it's a little different for me to do it on my own farm uh, because I didn't really kind of, you know, track the labor per se, um, you know, I'm building it for my own use. So uh, material wise, if you were crafty, maybe you'd have, um, you know, 12 or 15,000 into it. Um, okay. But if you want to, if you want a turnkey, you know, you're going to be pushing it. And then of course the width uh you know the 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 design we have is in two foot increments, so you could make it ten by by twelve, or you could make it twelve by twenty four, or twelve by twenty, or whatever. But to build it on site, you'd have to assemble the panels and the and anything over wide. I guess is what I'm getting at would would need to be built on site or or transported with a permit. Yeah, Bill, I was going to ask you about that. Was there is there any reason why you chose to have, you know, four separate ones instead of two bigger ones or, you know, some other combination of that? Well, I'm using uh, Wolf 220s from Germany that I had imported here, and I figured my daily... Those are picking yeah. machines, by the way. <laughs> right. I knew yeah, that. <laughs> layout, basically okay. stationary combine, but I figured my potential for yield on a 12 hour pick day and how much room I'd have to do, you know, how much room I'd need to um, pick every day. And that's why I went with a 12 by 24 so that with a good yield on the crop, I'd have a a place to put it. Um, So that's how I determined why I needed four because I could pick every day by the third day I'm emptying a vessel and I can start to fill it again. Makes sense. Well, Val, I know you're the ringleader of the Hop Quality Group, which funded this study, but I'm guessing you probably want to recognize some of the breweries, hop growers, and hop dealers who made all this possible. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to thank, uh, um, of course, uh, New Glarus Brewing Company, who, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, inspired this whole thing. I was up visiting uh, Bill's farm with uh, Dan Carey. And I fell in love with his machine and said, oh, gee, I, I need to have a better look at this. Uh, also, the folks at uh, Bell's Brewing in uh, uh, Kalamazoo, I guess Galesburg is their official um, uh, address in Michigan, who uh, uh, actually did all the lab work and everything uh, for uh, the uh, kiln at uh, Hophead Farms in, uh, in Michigan. And also uh, for the earlier work, uh, how should I say from uh, table one uh, that we did in in the Pacific Northwest uh, that was done at uh, uh, Loftus Farms in uh, Moxie, Washington, and the other uh, uh, facility there was uh, uh, the uh, um, uh, uh, John I Haas Farm uh, that's in Yakima, and uh, they helped us a lot. 
uh, the, the, the Hobbs folks actually installed a fuel uh, meter on uh, on the diesel tanks going into their kilns so that we get the fuel use uh, that you see uh, for the Citra work in uh, in Table One. We also did uh, some work uh, with Steiner uh, in Yakima at one of their farms, uh, and that was with uh, 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 bed depth and uh, uh, how should I say. Uh, uh, temperature variation, things that were similar to what you see in Table 1, but uh, weren't reported there. And uh, there were a lot of brewers from uh, from the Hop Quality Group, uh, from uh, New Belgium and uh, and um, uh, Sierra Nevada and Odell's and probably a handful of others that I can't remember offhand. And I apologize for uh, that because that all happened about five years ago. Uh, but uh, uh, we had an awful lot of uh, craft brewers involved in all that. So uh, this is an important issue uh, for the craft industry and uh, it's something that I think brewers should be paying attention to. We want uh, uniformly dried hops. It's important for us for the quality of the hops. That was Val Peacock and Bill Arndt here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you want to learn more, take a look at the data tables in Val's TQ article. I'll add a link to the show notes, or you can get there by typing hop drying into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. Want to hear more about the Hop Quality Group? Check out episode 43. Did you know that Master Brewers now has a mobile app? TQ articles, podcasts, webinars, Ask the Brewmasters, and more, all in the same place. Search Master Brewers in the App Store to download it now. Just like that one day when we came around.